Revelation chapter 3, verses, verse 7, where we'll start, read through verse 13. We'll pray and then jump into this. And to the angel in the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I, will also, or I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that, are, that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon the, him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, to he, an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. Excuse me, unto the churches. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings upon your word now as we look at it together. God, I ask that you would prepare our hearts for the message, prepare us to be willing to respond to your word, uh, make Southeast Baptist into the church that you uh, desire for us to be. Uh, make each of us as Christians uh, into the believer and the follower of your son that you desire for us to be. I pray that if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, that this morning they would recognize their great need for the gospel, their great need for salvation, and recognize how desperately you love their soul and desire for them to accept this free gift. Father, we'll thank and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go back and take a look at this just one verse at a time. I don't know how else to do these studies, just to let the, let the scripture speak for itself, and uh, cause us to stop and think. Uh, we're looking at the seven churches, and I kind of say this every week, and I've got another week, so hang on, I'll say it again, all right? Uh, I'm aware that there is the, the uh, understanding of the church age and how the, each of these churches might represent uh, a different aspect of the church age, and I'm not arguing that point at all, but in, in the writing of this, at the time of the Revelation was written, uh, all seven of these churches existed simultaneously. And so while, yes, I do think that there's merit in understanding them as an, as an age concept, uh, we also need to understand that they, within every age, all kind of coexist in, in every aspect. And, so, and these are individual churches. So, you know, these could potentially be a description of an individual church even in this day and age. So as we're looking at these, you know, my challenge is to look at Southeast Baptist Tabernacle. That's the church that God has brought us together under. And so to look at our church and to see where we would fit into these descriptions, uh, to look at myself as a believer and to ask you to do the same. And let's challenge ourselves to live the way that God would have us to live. So it starts out as he's uh, introducing himself, this angel, uh, to the uh, angel, the pastor there in Philadelphia. And of course, Philadelphia means what? Brotherly love. That's the city of brotherly love. Phileo being that, you know, that brotherly love concept. So this is the you know, it, this is not the Philadelphia that you know here in America, right? Uh, but uh, anyway, this is the church that's in Philadelphia. And then he goes on to describe 
things about Christ. Why is it important for us as believers to know something about Jesus Christ? Why do you think? Not a, this is not rhetorical. You can answer, right? I know it's a Sunday morning. It's a little odd, but that's okay. Why do you think that it would be important for me as a believer, for you as a believer, to understand the Savior in whom we have placed our faith? We are to be like him. That's what the Bible says, right? God wants to change us into the image of his son. So the more we understand about him, the more we understand about what our ultimate goal and what we would hope to be our ultimate desire, that we would become like Jesus Christ. And in fact, he starts out with this description. He says, holy. Take a look at it. He that is holy. Uh, in Peter, uh, we are commanded by God be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Now, you know, I mean, the, the real truth is this, is this is a tough one for us because what we want to say to ourselves is, um, well, you know, I've got this sin nature that I have to deal with, and so until this mortal puts on immortality, that can never be reality. And so I understand that concept that we are going to have this flesh the Apostle Paul describes it. There's going to be this war going on between our flesh and our spirit, and the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. We understand that. Romans chapter 6 makes that very clear. We, I do understand that, you know, from the perspective of being, um, you know, complete in this concept, we will, we, that will take place when this mortal puts on immortality. I am aware of that. But I am also aware that what we often do as Christians, as good fundamental Baptists, who are secure in our salvation, you know, what we are also tempted to do is to then begin to excuse our behavior based upon the fact that we have to deal with this flesh. But God says to us, believers, that we are to be holy as God is holy. That's, that's what we're to strive to do. We are to strive for the mastery. We are to run this race with patience, laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That's what we're called upon to do by this God of ours. And what he has done is given us his word to help us understand what his will is, and then given us his spirit to empower us to accomplish what he's asking us to do. So we need to understand something about our Savior. This Savior is holy. He is sinless and not touched by the infirmities. We have, a, we have a high priest who's not touched by the infirmity of our iniquity, right? And yet that same Savior became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of ourselves, but the righteousness of God in him. So we understand that Christ is holy. And he goes on to say, and he that is true. And the concept of true is that, you know, this is, this is not a veneer. This is not an act. This is not a pretense. Do you understand that Jesus Christ never put on his Sunday best? Because that's all he ever wore. Do you understand? He did not, like our Christianity today, say, okay, today's Sunday, so we put on our Sunday face, and then we go to church, and play out the role, that was never Christ. Uh, one of the things, if you were here last Sunday night as we had our camp uh, service, one of the, the recurring things that was spoken in our testimony was a service 
that the pastor, had, or the uh, evangelist had preached uh, that was entitled Good, but not Godly. And the concept of that, what he was getting at, was this. What we do, what we tend to do in our modern-day Christianity is we have this list. Okay, my hair's cut right, check. Uh, I'm wearing the right clothing, check. Uh, I've got, you know, the right kind of uh, shoes on, check. And we've got this checklist. And so we walk into church and saying, hey, I'm okay. I'm doing everything that is expected of me. And so we achieve being good from man's perspective. People look at us and say, oh, wow, look, there's a good Christian. He's doing the checklist. Had my devotions, check. You know, we're just simply checking things off of a list. But the difference between, think this through. Jesus Christ never had to consider a checklist. When you're godly, then goodness flows out from you. You understand? I mean, goodness is the natural outflowing of godly. And so when we allow God to change our character, then we become true. We're the same inward as we are outward. We're allowing God to make us not just good and that we've checked off some lists and we meet everybody's expectation. No. We are now behaving in such a way not to check off of a list, but because our character brings about a certain behavior. Good versus godly. And the Savior that we serve, yes, he is good, but he is good because he is godly. He is true. He's the same inside and out. He is holy. But what else do we find out about this Savior? It says, he that hath the key of David openeth, and no man shutteth. Shutteth, and no man openeth. What basically this is describing is omnipotence. We have a Savior who is beyond man's power. By the way, this should not scare you. This should actually encourage you. What we tend to do sometimes with God is we want to understand God. And people come to me all the time and say, Pastor, why? Pastor, why? Pastor, why? That's always a good question. I mean, even David of old asked that question. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain thing? Right? I mean, he asked, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I, there's so much about God I do not understand. But that ought to comfort us and not confuse us. The real truth is, if I can understand God, then God has to be my equal or my lesser. The only way I can, I can understand everything that is beneath me, and I can understand most things that are my equal, but I can't understand things that are beyond me. And God is definitely beyond us, and that ought to comfort us. We do not want a God who is as weak as we are, right? But this is a God who shuts and no man opens, who opens and no man closes. This is the God who is all-powerful, almighty. He is holy. He is true. And this is the one who is about to make this next statement to the church at Philadelphia. And I would say that this is a statement that would ring true for the circumstance that Southeast Baptist Tabernacle finds itself in today. Take a look at the next verse. Verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. The Bible says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, 
To him it is sin. To him it is sin. The Bible says, to whom much hath been given, much shall what? Be required. And unlike almost every generation before us, the opportunities to put the gospel forth, the opportunities to speak to people who are in need of the gospel, the opportunity to have the gospel that we give out go around the globe is great. There is a great door open before us. An opportunity is staring Southeast Baptist Tabernacle in the face. We have people, people here today, who I don't know exactly how they found out about us, but they're here visiting today. I mean, here's Southeast Baptist Tabernacle, whether we've done anything in particular or not to make all of that happen, the opportunity for us to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world is greater and easier for us than it has been for almost any generation. How many of you have a little thing called Facebook account? How many of you have a Facebook account? Let me see. Okay, don't be ashamed. All right. All the men are like, okay. And all the teenagers are like, Facebook? What's Facebook? Teenagers used to use Facebook a lot more. Now it's been overtaken by all of us old people. And so they do other things. And you need to pay attention to what it is that they're doing, all right? But that's another, that's another message. But um, anyway, you know, wow, just look at what Facebook, just alone, the opportunities that Facebook has available to you. Now, I have a, I have a lot of friends on Facebook. I speak different places, and I, you know, people find me. And so uh, I, I don't know how many I have. It's like 1,800 friends on Facebook. I don't have 1,800 friends. You know, I have 1,800 friends on Facebook. You understand the difference, right? It's Facebook friends, right? Who is that person? I don't know. They're my Facebook friend. And, but, but still, the opportunity to take the gospel around the globe is incredible. But it's beyond that. Do you know that there's a neighborhood right next door to our church that is about one-third of people who are from India and Pakistan? Right next door to our church. I mean, literally, when you walk outside the door and look over and see houses, that's the neighborhood I'm talking about. And the opportunity to share the gospel with people who, you go back to when I was a teenager, and I could almost remember the first time I met someone from another country. Remember that? And yet now, it's like you can't go to the store without meeting several people from around the globe. And a great door has been swung open to the church of the 21st century. And to whom much has been given, much is required. And if Southeast Baptist Tabernacle is not careful, we will squander an opportunity. And to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And God has positioned this church in such a way, and God, by the way, is the one who opens the door. And when God opens the door, no man can shut it. You understand? This is an open door, an opportunity staring us in the face to reach out to people in ways that we never would have dreamt possible 25 or 30 years ago, maybe not even 10 years ago. 
but now here this opportunity is. That's the Church of Philadelphia. They were given a, a unique opportunity, an opportunity, an open door by God to impact the people around them in a very unusual way. And no man shut it. For thou hast little strength. And I love this statement. He goes on in this verse says, listen, listen, Southeast Baptist Tabernacle. It's not about us. If we think that we're going to go out there in our own strength and reach people with the gospel, we're missing the message of the scripture. Without him, I can do nothing. And it's not about the strength that we have. Remember, he just described himself as the savior who has such power that he opens a door and no man can shut it. And he shuts a door and no man can open it. It's not about our strength. It's not about our ability. It's not about our talent. It's not about our, you know, how, how we present things. Years ago when I first got saved, I hope this was just in the church that I was in, but it may have been in every church at the time. I don't know. I got saved in the 1970s. And in essence, the, the church that I was going to took us through the Dale Carnegie course in order to teach us how to win souls. I have some real problems with that now. I didn't understand it at the time, but I recognize now that that is putting my strength, my confidence in myself, in my ability, rather than trusting God to do what I cannot do. This is not about us, folks. It's not, Southeast Baptist Tabernacle is not special in that what we are, are burdened with a responsibility because a door has been opened unto us. And we'll either embrace the opportunity that God has given us, or we will stand stiff-armed stiff in resistance, saying, no, we don't want that kind to come in. You understand? And it becomes a real challenge to how we're going to approach the, the society around us with the gospel. A great door has been opened, and it's not about our strength. You have little strength, God says here. But with your little strength, you have kept my word and not denied my name. I, I, I read this description. I honestly look at Southeast Baptist Tavern. I think this is where we are. I, I, God has blessed us with, with people here who want to serve, who have stood firm in the face of some difficult circumstances and not denied the Lord and, and stood firm in understanding and understanding the word and growing in the word. And what God has done is opened up a door now. The question is, will we continue to be faithful? Will we step through that door that has been opened before us? Not depending upon ourselves. See, here's what we, we tend to do if we're not careful. Oh, what will our church look like? Uh, I don't like change. I don't, I don't deal with change very well. What will our church look like if we reach out and all of these people actually start responding to the gospel? Wouldn't that be awful? And all of a sudden, we become worried because we're still trying to figure this out in our own strength. And that's not our job. It amazes me how many Americans will give money for someone to go over there and, send and give the gospel to people in a foreign land. But when those same people come here, there's all of a sudden resistance. Why are they here? Well, why is irrelevant? The truth is an open door to the church, to share the gospel in a very unusual way. Going to verse 10. Because, he says, 
Thou hast kept the word of my, of my patience. I will also keep thee from an hour of temptation, which shall come upon... I'm sorry, I, I skipped verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet to know that I have loved thee. And here's what God is going to do. Here's what God's promise is to this church. Not necessarily southeast. I'm aware this is the church of Philadelphia, all right? But here's what God promises. God says, as you step through that door, here's, as you remain faithful, as you keep my word and don't deny my name, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help those people who you have hitherto counted as enemy. I'm going to help them see how much I love you. And I'm going to use how I am, my relationship with you to impact them. And they will be impacted by what they're seeing God do in our lives. What they're seeing God do in this ministry of Philadelphia. And he says, I will make them. Now, you know, God's not perpetuating the worship of men here. But he says, I am going to humble these people before you. You do not have to worry about what these people are. What you have to do is be faithful to my word. And I will use that. And I will prove to them how much I love you. And I will show them that. Verse 10 says, why? Because thou hast kept my word, the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. And this is an amazing statement. This hour of trial, this hour of temptation is a trial, will come upon the whole world. Look what it says. Which shall come upon all the world to try them, to as a trial, them that dwell upon the earth. But God says, to those who are faithful, those who are willing to go through this door, while this temptation and this trial is going to come upon the whole world, it will not touch the church at Philadelphia. Wow, that's huge. Is it important that we be faithful to God? Is it important that we keep God's word? Is it important that while we look at ourselves and say, I do not have the strength that we get up and walk through that door anyway? It is. And as a result, God honors us, shows everyone how much he loves us by putting that hedge about his people. It's an amazing thing that God does for this church in Philadelphia. And again, while I know that there's a church age concept here, they all existed at the time John was writing. And the promise was given to this church in Philadelphia. I wonder how much God views what he is doing in the 21st century American church. How much God views this door as being open. Now, from a political standpoint, hear me out. Politically, I think that people who are coming here illegally should be sent back to their country of origin and brought back legally. All right? That's what I think. That's politically. Having said that, that has nothing to do with my responsibility of the gospel. God doesn't say, go and preach the gospel unto every man who is in your country legally. Right? He doesn't say that. My responsibility to the gospel is to preach the gospel to every person that I have the opportunity to share the gospel with. And a great door from the gospel's perspective is opened up before us. Southeast Baptist, wow. That door, that opportunity, and that responsibility is huge. 
and to whom much has been given, much is required. What would God have us do this week as we're out shopping, as we're out walking through the mall, as, as we have opportunity? What would God have us do as opportunity is given? Can I share with you something that happened this last Wednesday night? It happened Wednesday night. I don't know when it happened. I don't know who it is. We had a gentleman visit here Wednesday night, and he filled out a card for us. Somebody was good enough to give him the card. He filled it out. He handed it in. And uh, here's what he wrote at the bottom of this card. I think I've got it right here, so I'll just share it with you as, it, as he wrote it. He says this. The question is, how did you hear about our church? And he writes, a brochure given to my wife, in parentheses, a waitress. Somebody, I don't know who it was, left a tract or something about our church on a table at a restaurant. Do you think that it does no good, or is it good to take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us? Somebody actually came to the doors of our church, filled out a card, sat right over here last Wednesday night, because somebody passed out a tract or whatever it was that you handed out. I don't know. Thank you for being faithful. God honors faithfulness. He does. And that's what's happening here. And God says to this church in Philadelphia, I've opened up a door. And while you may think I don't have much strength, it's not about your strength. I open the door. I'm the only one that can shut it. I'm the one who has strength. Walk through the door and see what I can do. And that's what God says to Philadelphia. Then he goes on to verse 11. And he gives us three things that we need to consider today. All right? Three things that we need to consider. And this kind of finishes out the message. First he says, behold, I come, what's the word? I'm getting to that age to where I'm beginning to feel like it's not quite quickly enough. You know, I'm just being honest. Uh, I, you know, my kids have both trusted Christ as their Savior. They're living for the Lord. Um, you know, God is good. Life is good. And honestly, if the Lord came back at this moment, I would not be disappointed. I could hope and pray that God would come back before these kids have to see what our nation might look like in 25 or 30 years. I could hope and pray that the Lord would return before persecution comes to America. I could. I could. But here's the reality of it. He is coming quickly. And we may not always feel like it's in our timetable. But God says, behold, I come quickly. In another passage in Matthew, he says, he comes as a thief in the night. In fact, earlier in this chapter, uh, he said he came as a thief in the night. He comes as a thief. He's going to come upon us quickly, unexpectedly, when we least expect it. He is going to come. There's a verse in the scripture that says, uh, in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And I, I describe this to uh, your teenagers. I, I often do this for TNT, something along this line. Uh, but I didn't this year. So here you go, teenagers. You get a freebie. So uh, in such an hour as ye think not. And so here's the question. What hour would that be? And here's what I believe. The most logical hour for the Lord to return is the next one. Because not a one of us sitting here really think the Lord's going to come back in the next 60 minutes. Because if we did, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. You understand? 
The most logical time for the Lord to return is the next 60 minutes. And after that, you know what the next, you know what the most logical time is? The next 60 minutes. That we would live as if the Lord's return is at any moment, not at any year or even any day. He's coming quickly. And when he comes, all of us, all of us will then be called upon to give an account of the deeds we've done in this body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. All of us who know Christ as Savior are going to be called upon to do that. And so he says to this church, hey, listen, the door is open. And don't, this is not a mistake that he puts this statement in there right after the open door statement. The door is open, and behold, I come quickly. So there is a great opportunity given, but the opportunity for you and I to fulfill our obligation to that opportunity may be quickly coming to a close. We don't have forever to wait. You know, there's, there's seldom anyone who will stand before God and say to him, I did everything that I wanted to do for your glory and honor. But there will be a whole host of us stand before the Savior and wish we had given him more. And the door is open. The opportunity is there. There's not a single person in this room that does not have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. This week, um, I was called upon by my son. Thank you for those of you who are helping out. I don't know what's going on with the 25th anniversary thing, but obviously things. So J.D. said, hey, I need pictures. And so... You know, I had to rummage through, you don't understand me and pictures. You know, I mean, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of pictures. I'm not making that up. Uh, we went to camp this last week, you know, two weeks ago, and I took literally 1,437 pictures. That was one week. Uh, I've got pictures like crazy. And so anyway, it made me going, I'm digging through boxes and all this kind of stuff. And, and I came across something this week. Fits with this concept. I, I had uh, made a scrapbook of different people that God has brought into my life. <clears throat> and there's this young man named Eric Jones. I've told you this story before. Senior, then Davis High School. Came to our youth group twice. And both times he came to our youth group, I knew I needed to share the gospel to this man. I knew. I mean, it was as if God himself had spoken it aloud. He didn't. It was like, John, tell him the gospel. And I was afraid I would scare him away. And our youth group needed a senior from then Davis High School, I thought. And two weeks later, I was doing his funeral as he was in an accident coming out of school, almost was decapitated. His mom, who I'd never met, called me up and said, we've never met, but Eric's told me so much about your church, and I know he'd want you to be here. I run up to Methodist Hospital, and I'm there with him as he breathes his last breath. And I never shared the gospel with him. And the great door was open. but I failed to walk through it. In Southeast Baptist, the great door is open. 
but the Lord is quickly coming back. And whether it's by death or whether it's by rapture, our chance, our opportunity to step out in faith and walk through that door is vanishing quickly. He goes on to say, not only is this great door open, but he says then, because this great door is open, because I'm coming quickly, hold fast which thou hast. Hey, it is not time to quit. You know, the Bible says we ought to be not weary in well-doing, lest we faint, lest we quit. It is not time to give up on Christianity. It is not time to give up on whatever life is pushing us toward. We have a God who is so great that when he opens the door, no man can shut it. When he shuts the door, no man can open it. That's the God that we serve. And he has not deserted us. And what we need to do instead is to take upon ourselves the mantle of responsibility, walk through this great door that is open, recognizing that our time is running short, and hold fast to that which we already have. It is not time to throw in the towel. I've tried winning this person to the Lord. It's time. To, no, it's not time to quit. It is time, knowing the Lord's return is imminent, it is time for us to be faithful to the job he's called us to do. Hold fast that which thou hast. And then he goes on to say this last thing. And this is a tough one. That no man take thy crown. Say, what? Listen, I'm not the one that said it. This is what God said, right? And what he's saying is, you know, when this same God, this giver of the crown, right, uh, if no man can shut the door he opens, then no man's going to wrest the crown from his hand. I understand that. But this I understand. That you and I, you and I can throw away the crown that is available to us. The Apostle Paul said, I fear lest I myself should be a castaway. Remember, remember him saying that? That it is, it is great for you and I to enter the race. It is great for you and I to run the race. But folks, if we do not finish the race, then entering and running become of no value. It would be awful to have invested so much of our life, so much of our time and effort into bringing glory to the Lord and into walking through that door that God has opened up to us, only to toward the end, throw up our hands and quit and surrender the crown that God offers to us. Let no man take your crown. How do we do that, Pastor John? Walk through the door. How do we do that? Hold fast that which you have. How do we do that? Be faithful to the word. How do we do that? Grow in Christ. Become more like Jesus Christ, holy and true. That is how we finish the race. The Apostle Paul came to the end of his life, and he said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I am now ready. That's where we want to be. Amen? That's where we need to be. Don't quit. The door is still open. Don't quit. 
You don't have much strength. He has the strength. Don't quit. The opportunity is there. Time is running short. Don't quit. Hold fast by what you have. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please.